Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Peter Schiff Show. Hi, everybody. This is Peter Schiff. It is Friday, October 2nd, 2015. It is the first Friday of the month, and that means that earlier this morning we got the September non farm payroll number. Now, anybody who's been listening to my podcasts or watching these video blogs knows that for months I have been criticizing these so-called strong jobs reports. I really think that what's going on is a transformation of the economy from a lot of full-time jobs to a lot of part-time jobs, and that necessitates creating more jobs than you destroy. But the real story has been beneath the surface as far as labor force participation, people wanting full-time jobs and settling for part-time jobs. And of course, uh, all of the people working in low-paying jobs and the higher-paying jobs being the ones that we lose. But the report that we got today was one of the weakest reports relative to expectations than we've had in years. And I think this may be the final missing piece to the economic puzzle that really shows uh, the mainstream that the economy is nowhere near as strong as everybody, including the Fed, is pretending, and that the rate hikes that everybody believes are right around the corner are a distant blur on the horizon. And in fact, soon I think people will be joining me in recognizing that more quantitative easing is what's coming. Of course, I know it's not going to work, but everybody else is going to administer more of what they think is medicine, but what I know is actually toxic. But let's get down to the tail of the tape with the jobs numbers. I mean, first of all, I think the bigger number was that everybody believed that the August number that we got last month, which was originally reported at 173,000, everybody expected that to be revised up. I think the consensus was 215,000, with a lot of people thinking it was going to be higher. I mean, I remember Mark Zandi 
when we got that number originally, he was on CNBC and he didn't believe it. He said, oh, no way, this is the number. They're going to revise this way up. They always do. Uh, this is a 200000 uh, a month plus economy. And he was very uh, sure. In fact, I don't even remember seeing Zandi on television at all today. Maybe he was hiding. But I remember what happened a month ago. So this was the bigger story. And not only was that number not revised up, it was revised down to a paltry 136,000 jobs. That's it. And in fact, not only did they revise down last month, they revised down the month before that. Now, that one is still above 200,000, but not as much above as it was originally reported. But let's get to the uh, September number. That number was supposed to be 203,000. It was 142,000. That's it. Again, way below expectations. In fact, if you average now the last three months, you just get 167,000 jobs on average for the last three months. And, you know, six of the last eight jobs numbers have now been revised downward. So what does that mean about this 142,000 that was reported today uh, for September? It's probably going to be revised downward, too. So the numbers are probably even worse than that. But you know what? It gets worse. Look at the um, labor force participation rate. It was at 62.6 last month. And that was the lowest it's, it's been, uh, you know, of this whole uh, recovery, recession, whatever you want to call it. It dropped another two-tenths to 62.4. So now this is the lowest since back in 1977, right? Another 579,000 people marched out of the labor force in September. Now there's 94.6 million Americans not working. Also, average hourly earnings. They were expecting an increase of 0.2. They got a goose egg, zero. No gain at all in average hourly earnings. And in fact, the average work week actually uh, ticked down from 34.6 to 34.5. So Americans worked fewer hours. They didn't earn any more money. And lots of them left the labor force. Now, if you remember, what has Janet Yellen always said? is required to raise rates. That is an improvement in the labor market. In fact, when Janet Yellen did not raise rates in September, the way I forecast she would not, she said that we need more improvement in the labor market. Now, of course, everybody was saying, well, Yellen didn't move in September, so she's going to hike in October or December. I said no, because the labor market is not going to improve by then. If anything, it is going to get worse, and that is exactly what happened. Janet Yellen is talking about not the unemployment rate. That remains steady at 5.1, and that number means nothing. What Yellen is referring to is labor force participation, and that went down to a new low. This is the worst it's been since she began saying that it needs to improve before she can raise rates. Also, she's looking for an improvement in wages. That ain't happening either. That's going the other way. In fact, if you also look at the details of this lack of jobs report, again, you see that all the jobs that we're creating are low-paying jobs, and the jobs that we're losing are higher-paying jobs. For example, we lost jobs in wholesale trade, manufacturing, mining, and logging. 
Those are good paying blue collar jobs. You know where we gain jobs? Leisure and hospitality. What's that? You know, people working in a hotel, you know, the, the people that clean the rooms or clean the bathrooms or work behind the, the when you check in, we got those jobs, right? Education and health care, right? Then we got uh, retail trade, right? Those are people that are behind the checkout counter. When you buy stuff, they ring the cash registers. Uh, also, leisure and hospitality includes waiters, uh, bartenders. Th- these are the jobs that we're creating. These are not high paying jobs. You don't need college degrees for these jobs. You don't even need skills for these jobs, right? And this is all we got. And a lot of these jobs are part-time. A lot of these jobs are temporary. This has been the story, right? This is why there's no real recovery. This is why Americans can't afford to buy houses. This is why they have no savings. This is why young people are living with their parents. This is why older people uh, can't afford to retire or they're living with their grown children because these jobs are no good because the economy is no good thanks to the Fed. But unfortunately, the Federal Reserve is not going to learn its lesson. It's just going to repeat its mistake. And I think this weak jobs number, again, is another excuse for the Fed not to raise rates. In fact, what's bothering me is to see all these people on television giving the Fed credit. They're saying, oh, Janet Yellen must be saying, I told you so now. You see, she was smart not to raise rates in September. She wasn't smart. She was never going to raise rates at all. You know, if she was so smart, why is she saying or why did she say that she's confident that rates will go up by the end of the year? Obviously, they're not. And again, she always prefaced her comments. She never said rates are going to go up. She said if the economy continues to improve the way we expect, then rates will probably go up. But of course, it's not improving the way she expects. So she's not so smart. The economy is getting worse. The Fed expected it to get better. But also remember, I've always said that one of the reasons the Fed doesn't want to risk raising interest rates is because it doesn't want to look foolish. It wants to look smart to foolish people, right? Hey, the Fed looks smart. They didn't raise rates, right? If they actually raise rates and then the economy is in recession and they have to lower rates back to zero, they look foolish. If they keep them at zero the whole time, And then we go back into recession. Everyone's going to say how smart they are. That's how dumb those people are. They don't realize that the Fed has created a a, a economic quicksand that we can never get out of. They're not smart. They're fools. But they may be smart enough to do one thing, and that's not to raise interest rates. And I guess they're also smart enough not to admit that. So they have to keep pretending. And, you know, we got more economic data today. We got uh, factory orders, which were down 1.7%. That was worse than I think the 1.3% that they had been expecting. But also, they revised down last month to a lower number than it was originally reported. This is the 10th month in a row that factory orders have been down year over year. Now, that only happens in a recession. In fact, this is a record. I don't know if they're going to add it to the Guinness Book, but this is the most months in a row where factory orders have been down year over year when the U.S. economy was not in a recession. Now, maybe it isn't a record because maybe we are in a recession. You know, we don't have the Q3 GDP numbers yet, but the uh, Atlanta GDP Now uh, estimate for Q3 yesterday was reduced to just 0.9. Now, the day before that, they were at 1.8. Now they're at 0.9. 
the consensus on Wall Street and at the Fed is still two and a half for the quarter. Now, I think that given the lousy jobs number that we just got, given the revisions to the previous numbers, making them worse, giving now today's factory orders and the economic data that we're likely to get next week, I think before long, or it's not going to be too long, before the Atlanta Fed GDP now reflects a negative print, a negative number for third quarter GDP. Now, if we get a negative number for third quarter GDP, I bet we get another negative number that's even bigger for the fourth quarter. Because if you look at the trend over the last six years or so, the fourth quarter is always weaker than the third. The third quarter is a stronger quarter. And if that quarter is weak, what does that tell you about the second quarter? It's going to be even weaker. So if we get a negative third quarter and then we get a negative fourth quarter, well, that's a recession, right? Technically, that's a recession. Well, what's the Fed going to do? Well, they can't raise rates. And in fact, all the people who were so convinced until today, I mean, at yesterday, 80, 90% of the economists were still expecting a rate hike by December. Some of those fools actually thought the Fed was going to move in October. Now, a significant percentage of those people said, okay, well, I guess the Fed's going to have to wait now until sometime next year. Look, I didn't need to see this data to know that the Fed wasn't going to move. In fact, it didn't even matter what this data was. They can't move and they know it. They are trapped, right? They, they, they created this trap on their own and now they can't escape from it, but they cannot admit that. But this does give them an excuse. And I think what the Fed is going to do is they're going to blame this weakness on a spillover from overseas, whether it's China or any other country. They're going to say our economy was doing great and then all this stuff happened in other countries, and now it's starting to spill over, over here. And so we need to be cautious now during this period so we can assess how much damage these other countries are going to inflict on our otherwise healthy economy. Because, you know, we were just about to raise interest rates. We were just going to do it. And you know what? Oh, no, now we can't. Because this stuff happened beyond our control that we didn't foresee. But we were smart enough to be cautious just in case, right? And, and so now we're going to have to wait. And I think that is what's going to happen. That's going to be the first ease, is going to be a change in tone, right? A change in rhetoric, right? What the Fed has been saying is, hey, the economy is great. We have a lot of confidence in the economy. And we're going to raise rates at some point, right? We think we're going to do it by the end of the year, uh, as long as everything's as good as, as we think it is, right? And the media, Wall Street, has always taken that to mean, hey, everything is great. The Fed's going to raise rates, right? That, and that's what the, the dollar rally was built on that foundation, the sell-off in gold, uh, the sell-off in emerging markets. It's all because the Fed is, is talking up uh, expectations for higher rates, and that is wreaking havoc around the world. I think that the Fed is going to change its stance its rhetoric is going to be more dovish. The Fed is going to start talking about how the risks uh, are now elevated to the downside for the economy, that the Fed is now more cautious than it was. And therefore, its outlook on rates is less certain, that it maybe will be patient or there might be some kind of considerable period of time 
before the next rate hike. So that now people are not expecting rate hikes by the end of this year, but maybe sometime in 2015. Although when, who knows, it's an election year. And I think a lot of people then, once we get into 2016 rather, people might start pushing their expected liftoff date uh, to 2017. That I think is going to be the first step. But I think the second step is going to be for the Fed to have to acknowledge that the economy is way weaker. And that might be after we're in a recession. You know, even if we get a negative print for Q3, the Fed might think that's an aberration. They may need to see the negative print in Q4. And of course, now there's already a recession. And I think that these weak jobs numbers that we got uh, for September and the downward revisions to the prior months, this is just the beginning. Look at the Challenger Gray layoff reports uh, or the announced layoffs. For the third quarter of this year, announced layoffs are the highest in any quarter in six years. Now, these are layoffs that have been announced. They haven't laid the people off yet. That's coming. And again, a lot of these jobs were built on hope, built on hype. Employers were all psyched for this recovery that everybody's been promising. This is going to be a horrendous Christmas. That's my forecast as far as what the retailers are expecting and what they're going to get. This is probably going to be the worst Christmas shopping season of the recovery. And I think next year, a lot more layoffs are coming. And, you know, you live by uh, part-time employment. You die by it as well. One of the reasons I said at the beginning of this video is a lot of the jobs are part-time jobs. And when you're hiring part-time people, you hire more of them because each one works fewer hours. Well, it works in reverse. When employers start laying off their part-timers, there's a bigger workforce, so more people are going to get pink slips. And that's what's going on. And I think by next year, the number of Americans not in the labor force is going to hit 100 million. You know, that's a lot of people uh, riding in the cart, you know, and it means it's a lot harder for the people still dumb enough to be pulling the cart uh, to be pulling it. And I think that's going to be a pretty powerful incentive for the people who are still working to join the rest who are riding around in that cart and not working. You know, I want to talk, too, about the market reaction today. Because the Dow Jones initially sold off on a, well, bad news is bad news. Hey, if the economy is really weak, maybe all the earnings that we all think are going to be there, maybe they're not going to be there. And so the Dow was down as much as 250 points or so early in the morning. But then the buyers came in because they realized, hey, wait a minute. If the Fed isn't going to raise rates, then this party can continue for a while longer and the Dow finished up 200 points. That's a 450-point move. We were almost down at the Black Monday lows. I think this was a pretty significant reversal. My guess is that the Dow is going to rally from here. I don't know if it's going to rally to new highs. That would be a stretch. But I think right now, uh, given the weakness of this report, I think that you can see some strength in the U.S. stock market. But I think you'll see even more strength in the overseas stock market uh, foreign stocks had a huge update today, uh, and I think there's a lot more where that's coming from, especially when we start to see more movement in the dollar. You know, the dollar was down today, but barely down. Currency traders really haven't connected the dots here. It's really hard for them to change gears and change narratives. You know, they've been buying this, you know, U.S. dollar strength. Fed's going to raise rates. It's ingrained in their psyche. It's going to take a while for them to give that up, but I think they will. The preponderance of the evidence is there. Look, oil was strong today. Uh, uh, that moved up. 
Silver was up 70-something cents. I saw it up 80 cents. It was a 5% move, but it's still low. I mean, it got back above $15 an ounce, but it's still a small move in the scheme of what I think is coming. Gold was up about $25. Still, not much. It still hasn't broken out of its range. It's not even above 1140. It really needs to move above 1150, but I think that can happen. But the fact that it hasn't happened yet shows me again that people still haven't woken up. Right, they've seen the numbers, but maybe they're ju- they just don't believe it. It hasn't really sunk in yet. Right, the hey, wait a minute, maybe the Fed isn't going to raise rates. Now, talk about buy the rumor, sell the fact. See, normally, right, in past rate tightening cycles, the U.S. dollar has risen on the anticipation of rate hikes, and then when the rate hikes finally arrive, the dollar sells off. That is classic buy the rumor, sell the fact. Right. You buy when you anticipate, you sell when you realize what was anticipated, right? This time, if the dollar rises based on an anticipation of rate hikes and the hikes don't even come, can you imagine how much selling there's going to be on that fact when you don't even get the event that everybody's been waiting for? That's going to work in reverse for gold. People have been selling gold for the same reason. Oh, the Fed's going to raise rates. That's going to be bad for gold. You know, when the Fed raised rates last time, it was great for gold because gold rose the whole time. But imagine how good it's going to be for gold when everybody expects a rate hike and instead we get QE4. I think this is going to be the biggest up leg of the gold bull market, which means the gold stocks are going to take off if I am right, because gold stocks today are cheaper than they were when the last bull market began when gold was under $300 an ounce. They're cheaper now with gold at 1130 than they were when gold was 270. So you've got some tremendous opportunities because so many traders and speculators have got it completely wrong. They bought the Fed's rhetoric. They believed there was a recovery. They believed the Fed's policies worked. It didn't work. The policies were a failure. And the data is just starting to reveal that only now. Now, I've known about it the whole time because I understand how the Fed's monetary policy works. That's how come I understood the problems that Greenspan was creating. That's how come I anticipated the 2008 financial crisis. This crisis is going to be worse. But it's not just going to be a financial crisis. It is going to be a currency crisis. Because the foundation upon which this dollar rally has been built is going to crumble. And then the dollar is going to go down. And think about all these emerging market economies that loaded up on dollars and loaded up on treasuries when the Fed did QE1 and QE2. They fought this ridiculous currency war. They didn't want their currencies to rise. So they intervened. They bought dollars. They bought treasuries. Now they have trillions. In the last year, their currencies have been hammered because everybody believes the rate hikes. Everybody believes the U.S. economy is so strong. When they figure out that it's weak, that there are no rate hikes, there's QE, the dollar's going to tank again. But this time, it's not going to have any friends to bail it out. This time, there's not going to be a currency World War II. The the emerging market economies are going to let the dollar tank because the dollar strengthening is what's been pressuring their economies. When they let it fall, that's going to relieve that pressure. It's also going to allow uh, commodity prices to rise, which is going to benefit these economies. And one of the things that has got people nervous about the emerging markets is their dollar debt. Hey, how are they going to pay off this debt? With the dollar going higher, interest rates going up, this is going to be a drag on their economy. But when the dollar tanks and interest rates don't go up, This debt becomes easier to service. And this is going to be a massive reassessment of asset values, 
of exchange rates because everybody is going to come to the same conclusion at once, right? That they were wrong. And now they have to revalue everything based on a whole new set of uh, um, assumptions that they weren't making. And I think it's going to be very abrupt and very quick. And people are going to be very surprised at how rapidly the situation that we've been experiencing for the last year or last several years is going to reverse because so many people have to move from one side of the boat to the other in a hurry when they realize how wrong they've been about everything. Now, I almost forgot. I wanted to talk about all of these regional Fed uh, surveys on manufacturing that have been coming out over the last several weeks, coming out horrible. I mean, really bad numbers, right? Much worse than expectations and really the type of numbers that you only see in a recession. And, you know, I was wondering why nobody was covering them. I mean, there was no real mainstream coverage of all this bad news. I mean, if you're wondering why I keep posting uh, articles from Zero Hedge on my Facebook page, it's not because I just discovered Zero Hedge. I've known about that website for a while. It's just they're the only website that's actually covering these stories. I mean, everybody is just ignoring it. So I had my brother, who does some PR for me, uh, started making some calls. And he got a hold of a reporter who would normally be writing about these surveys. And my brother said, you know, why aren't you covering this? And listen to the answer. The answer was, well, you know, we used to cover these, but we don't do it anymore because, you know, we realize it's not really important because manufacturing is such a small part of our economy that it really doesn't matter. And so we don't really care. And so we're not going to report it. Now, I mean, this bothers me on so many different levels. I mean, first of all, if the numbers were good, you better believe they'd be reporting it. So it's merely because they're bad. But think about what this reporter was saying, that A, manufacturing is not important. How can that not be important? That is the most important part of an economy. I mean, we want to consume, right? The goal of an economy is to create consumer goods. We all want manufactured goods. How are we going to get those goods if we don't manufacture them? How could you say that it's not important? It is vital. Then to say that, oh, well, it's such a small part of the economy. That's the second part of the problem. They're right. It is a small part of the economy. And that is the problem because it can't be a small part of the economy. It needs to be a big part of the economy. Well, you know when it's going to become a big part of the economy? When the economy collapses. That's what's going to happen. And then it's going to be a larger part of the economy because the economy itself is going to implode because you can't have an economy without real manufacturing. Now, how have we been able to pull off that trick uh, over, you know, over the years? It's because we've conned everybody into accepting our paper money. See, that's how we get manufactured goods. We, we uh, exchange the paper we print for the goods that everybody else manufactures. And this is a bad deal for everybody else. It's a great deal for us as long as we can get away with it. But I don't think we're going to be able to get away with it for much longer. If I'm right and the Fed doesn't raise rates and launches QE4 and the dollar tanks so we get a dollar crisis, that's it. Our days of riding on the global gravy train are over. And the fact that we don't manufacture is going to be a big deal. Because if we don't manufacture, we're not going to be able to consume the things that are manufactured in other countries because they're not going to want to sell it to us for our dollars. And you know what that means? That means those other countries are going to get to consume those goods themselves. They're not just going to dump them in the Pacific Ocean and watch them sink to the bottom. They're going to consume those goods. And believe me, they're going to get a lot more enjoyment out of those goods than they were getting out of our treasury bonds. 
The problem is what are Americans going to do without those goods, right? All we're going to have is our paper money. And that's when all the inflation that nobody wants to admit is here is really going to manifest itself in a very big way. Now, that's it uh, for today. And remember, I don't do these uh, uh, video blogs as often as I used to. One of the reasons is because I'm doing my podcasts. So if you want to get more information and you're only watching the Shift Report video blogs, you're missing out on a lot of the stuff that I'm saying at my, on my podcasts. You can get my podcasts at shiftradio.com and you can also get them on my YouTube channel. Bye for now. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into the Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed.